What's up? This is Mike Fenoya from Amigos, and Amigos Podcast is in the loop, the legion of Osiris Podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com and stay in the loop. Sign up for the newsletter to learn about the newest podcasts and events. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, go to Relics.com. What's up? This is Amigos. How's it going? It's your host, Mike Fenoya. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, hanging with me today, two of the most important Amigos, Mr. Sean Murray and Dan Calloway. What up, dudes? Yo. It's your boy. Yeah, dude, primary. Uno, That's, that would uno. be your your, uh, your primary would be like your, your figurine name. Like if, you, <laughs> if I made an action figure of you, primary. it would be primary. Or if Sean was a robot. I am primary. primary. And my primary function is laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Today on the uh, pod, I interviewed um, my friend Andy Bernstein. Now, Andy is one of the founders of Headcount. Headcount, what they do is they go out to, they've utilized the music world to register voters. Mm. So they head out into shows, like kind of, it started as a grassroots thing where they would, you know, get volunteers with clipboards and they would go out to parking lots of concerts. And they would just like register young voters, register old voters, just, you know, totally like not with any affiliation to left or right or any bullshit like that. Just go out and do, you know, just get people to vote. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, through, you know, the, the kind of grassroots, the thing that's cool about the music scene that, you know, whatever, the dead and fish and trickle down, you know, effect is... There's these message boards and whatever where, like, if you're looking for something, you can kind of go on it and say, hey, are there any computer, you know, any developers that can help us do X, do Y, make this spreadsheet or this form? And through, like, just reaching out to fans, they were able to kind of, like, find people who could help develop, like, the website that they wanted so they can see, like, okay, if you're in Michigan, what's on your ballots this year? Mm -hmm. Like, who's running for what? Where's your local voting location? Mm -hmm. Just kind of raise awareness. Yeah. To pe for, for people and uh, it's so cool like all these different artists like got on board like basically I, I, I would one thing I didn't ask that I would like to know is have any like musicians said like no I don't want to take part in this I have inside information that Fred Durst was not on board he, <laughs> no he hates voting him and Papa Roach were like he was like give me something to vote about <laughs> <laughs> how about your fucking face who cares about, about Fred <laughs> I'd rather the bass player or whatever with the weird eyes that wore the stupid contacts. Yeah, was yeah. he a guitar player or bass player? I think he was a guitar idiot? player. Yeah, his name was Brian Bosworth. Brian, oh the boss. <laughs> you know it was weird it was that polarized. one that one tour when they had Bo Jackson at drums. <laughs> a lot of animosity on stage. <laughs> he was crushing those drums, dude. Yeah, you want to know what else is cool about Andy? Andy developed and wrote with a friend of his. The Farmer's Almanac with a PH. Farmer's Almanac. Oh. And it was like a database of like, so you guys are like, if you, you know, I'm, you know, a nerd about fish. Mm. Danny, you're a comic book geek. Sure. 
<laughs> Sean, you're like movies. Sean, you're uh, movies. so what? <laughs> movies, movies, <laughs> black, black movies, black movies. No, the thing Spike that's cool Lee. is like, I mean, you know, we've been in the car, Danny, and you've talked about like, oh, you know, this version of like this unreleased. Well, you were talking of- about Guardians of the Galaxy when we were uh, when you went to go see um, uh, Avengers with Big J. Uh-huh. And you were like kind of talking about it, and I got all excited because I could tell you some stuff I knew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And then and and I liked it. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 kind of funny. Remember when we had that conversation when you and I first met? Well, what about Goonies? Yeah, <laughs> tell that story. I came I came up to Fenoy, and he was hosting a treehouse show over in Stratford, and I went up to him, and they had the extended edition of Aliens came out where they included like 24 new minutes mm-hmm. of the story where it's like it really establishes why Sigourney Weaver gets so upset about this girl because while she was in stasis, her daughter lived a whole life and died. Mm-hmm. And so she's just totally distraught about it. So that's why she's really fighting for this girl and she has to go back and kill the queen and aliens. And so it gives so much more this already awesome movie. So I'm as pumped as I am right now <laughs> going up to Fenoy and he's like trying to get ready to host this fucking horse shit showcase show and i tell him this whole thing and i go i go it sounds pretty awesome right and he goes ah he goes i gotta tell you dan he goes i'm really more of a goonies guy <laughs> 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 gotta be honest and that's where our friendship began and it's been uphill ever since that's but right. but like what 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 andy did with his buddy this was pre-internet you know like he basically i mean obviously there was internet but it was only it for the illuminati and, you know <laughs> the white darpa but um, basically what it was was, like, he created a book that was the, like, you know, travel companion to fish. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it was all the sets they ever played, the set lists, the notes, the little teases that they did within songs. They, they reached out to fans, and, like, they wrote stories, and the stories made it into the book. And it was something that you, like, would have – it was, like, the ultimate toilet read – Mm. Essentially, dude, how and funny we, we would go ahead. How funny it would be if Biff went into the future and came back with the farmers, <laughs> <laughs> like they're all that would change the whole movie. Yeah. And there you are, nerding out on a movie. Yeah, he's got no like no useful information, he just knows where concerts are going to be yeah, in 20 yeah, years. Yeah, you go, you, <laughs> Biff comes back and he's like. Trey teases <laughs> can't stop till you get it huh oh god that's so funny that would change that's a fun parody that like, just, that like 37,000 kids would like and that's it spun out at a concert <laughs> he just never goes back yeah. you have to throw glow sticks 88 miles per hour so he created this book and it's hilarious that like we me and my friends read it as kids mm-hmm. and if we were in traffic we'd like grab the almanac and like turn to a page and like just you know fuck around but me and my buddy Dave really wanted uh, tapes. We would try to, like, find more tapes. And through the book, through the Farmer's Almanac, we found a dude in, in Madison, Connecticut, that had tapes. And we, like, reached out to him, pen and paper, stamp, found him, met him, traded tapes. All through. And it's just weird how, like, you know, the way life brings you. And now we're sitting bullshitting about it. So Andy's an incredible dude. He's uh, it's such a fun interview to talk to him about, you know, like his career and path leading to politics and spreading awareness and just being a cool head. And uh, it's so awesome to be able to say thanks to him for the Farmer's Almanac. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Dudes, thanks for chilling. Of course. Um, tell everybody where you can uh, be found on the uh, World Wide Web. 
Uh, Danny Boy thirty thirty Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Highbrow Sean Twitter, Lowbrow Sean Instagram. I'm Ooh. in the pages of the Farmers Almanac, getting stomped out at a fish concert. <laughs> Not true. That's <laughs> fake news. I'm gonna hashtag fake news that. Uh, you can find me at Mike Fanoia, F-I-N-O-I-A, at Amigos Pod. Follow us. Go on iTunes. And check out all the other incredible shows on the Osiris Network. So happy to be a part of the Osiris family. Enjoy the interview with Andy and talk to you soon, everybody. Peace. Osiris. There is just, we are so blessed with how much great music there is in New York and also how much put on by great people. And, um, you know, kind of a secret thing that maybe not a lot of people know is that people from the jam band scene are running all of music in New York. So the top guy at Live Nation New York is a huge deadhead. All the guys who put together Bowery Presents, which is now part of AEG, big fish fans. Right. So, you know, when you go to see a show by Kanye or by the latest indie band, chances are that promoter has seen at least 300 fish and dead shows. <laughs> right. And, um, from both sides of the stage. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, so and, and this thing up in, in Niagara Falls was a lot of those people. So we really are blessed as fans of improvisational music that um, it, it's just kind of a hidden story that isn't told that people who came up through the fish and dead scene are running the live music business as we know it in America. Yep. And it's one of the many reasons that our scene is in some ways stronger than ever. Well, and I also wonder with that, is it that, you know, like, we are a very passionate bunch. There are some people who take a job in music, in comedy, in entertainment just to take a job, you know? And it's who their parents knew or what brother got him into an internship. We seek this shit out, you know? We go in and we go, we know how to make a scene awesome. We know how to make a show fantastic. It doesn't matter if it's Sturgill Simpson or if it's Kanye or if it's, you know, Lady Gaga. We can bring elements of what we've created into this new environment. It's so true. And like Sturgill's a good example. Sturgill's agent is Jonathan Levine, who is also Bob Weir and Phil Esch's agent. Right. Yeah. So there, I love Sturgill. Yeah. There's, there's so many connections there. And Jonathan is on our board of directors also. And, and, you know, when Headcount started back in 2004 and, and Mark Brownstein of the Disco Biscuits is, is the co-chair and, and founder with me. Mm. Um, you know, the idea, and Mark has talked about this a lot very eloquently that we know how to market things at a grassroots level because that's how the jam scene works. Right. It all started with people handing out flyers at wetlands and things like that. So when we apply some of what we know works for music to community organizing and politics, in a lot of ways we're kind of one step ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's so much in the political world that's driven by paid media and consultants and focus groups and nobody in the jam band scene ever had access to any of those things. Right. Yeah. What we have access to is authentic voice and a community and passion and all these things. And, and so what Headcount has always tried to do is use those things, those very authentic things as a driver to get people out to the polls and, and create a whole apparatus for making it happen. Right. Now, with you personally, was politics something always of interest you know, it was, um, but not uh, as a job, certainly not as a career. I, for me, the way Headcount got started was it was 2003. 
And uh, something that I'm really very passionate about is First Amendment rights. That's always been a thing for me. I uh, thank you for that. <laughs> that's a comic that's pretty important to me too. Yeah, it's to me. It's just you know I always had a big mouth and like to use it. When I was um, in college, I actually got arrested for telling a cop to stop harassing some African American kids on the subway. Really? And the American Civil Liberties Union defended me. Wow. Um, so it was just that kind of. I was a little bit of a punk and liked to tell people off and I, I that's something I care about a lot so in, in in late 2003 when all kinds of shit is going down in the world one of the things that was happening was Guantanamo Bay and you had you know just throwing due process out the window which I thought and still do think is just the most un-American thing so I was at the time I was a sports writer yeah, and I was doing an interview with somebody, and it just we just started talking about that. The conversation turned, and when I finished the interview, I put down the phone and I, I said to myself, "I got to do something. I got to stop complaining and start doing something." And like a minute later, I just kind of had the idea for a headcount. I thought if if I can just get people to vote who go to the same concerts that I go to, that's maybe how I can make a personal difference. And I emailed Brownstein with the idea. I emailed this long treatise, with all these concepts, and he gets back two words: "I'm in." <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That's all you needed. It really is. Yeah. Um. Now, from that point, um, you know. Getting it going, getting it up and running. Did you? Did it start with you and a clipboard? Did it start with a team? Did you have decide like I'm going to you know sit behind the scenes and let volunteers do it? Like what was your like plan of action moving forward? It really did start with a team. Um, we before we ever registered a single voter, we had this amazing team of people together, and it was a really special time. And it's it's kind of a similar time to now, like. After this year's election, a lot of groups got started and like great organizations that are making a huge impact that are less than a year old. We kind of were born out of a similar boom mm -hmm. um, in early 2004. And when we started Headcount, we just kind of very quietly let people, let good friends know what we were doing and magical things started happening. Um, Mark let Al Schneer from Mo know about it and Al reached out to Bobby and Bobby joined the board. Um, I remember... We wanted to build like a, I thought of like a computer system we needed for organizing volunteers and it was really complex and like a custom built thing that would have cost tens of thousands of dollars. And we put one post on Fantasy Tour saying what we wanted and sure enough, this guy Jay Carbon responds and builds it for us. Right. And that's the community. Yeah. That's our totally. People. You know, Jay was a big Biscuits fan. He ended up doing the Biscuits website and um, you know, Jay, Jay, Jay had just had an enormous impact on Headcount at the beginning. We didn't know that what we wanted to do was next to impossible. Mm. It didn't occur to us till years later when we knew more and we'd already done it. And um, so we had just kind of a whole bunch of people got involved. A guy named John Gelbard who had just gotten his PhD in sustainability. He was out in San Francisco, you know, super smart guy, very passionate guy. He got involved and we, and we just started building it together. So I, I, I was sort of just kind of trying to be the maestro and trying to like use whatever I knew and just, you know, whatever leadership skills I had or didn't have. Right. And it was a very wild time and, and, we had our kind of launch event in February where Mark and Al played out in Denver and at Cervantes, I think. And then by April, we were doing 25 shows a week all over the country. We were working with Fronty and Derek Trucks and um, Leftover Salmon. 
core jam bands at the right. beginning, the absolute kind of core of the, the grassroots scene. And then by the summer, we were out on the road with Dave Matthews, Fish and the Dead. It was, it was much right. bigger by that point. We, we shot public service announcements that aired on network TV. It got big really fast. Yeah, it did. I remember. And that was right around the time, you know, I wrote for Relics in Fish's first hiatus after those Shoreline shows. And, um, one of my jobs at Relics when I had to go to festivals was I used to have to try to sign people up for subscriptions. Ah, so you really worked for Relics. Yeah, I really worked for Relics. And well, you know what it was? That was my reason to get a free ticket to Bonnaroo. And I got high as shit one day and forgot that I had to sign people up for subscriptions. And we had a change purse and a lighter with a bottle opener at the bottom of it and i sold more subscriptions i showed up like a ball of lightning and i'm running around kissing chicks shaking dudes hands like throwing footballs to people got them all signed up and i think that the thing was and i think this parlays to headcount everyone's happy to be there you know you're not at aster place trying to sign someone up for you know pita or you know something so when you are approaching someone with let's say a clipboard or with a a message. Do you find any, you know, do you find some people like, come on, get the fuck out of my face, man. I'm at a concert. You know, it's really rare that you get like extreme negativity. You get certainly a lot of blow offs. And, and I, I give a huge shout out to our volunteers. Uh, we have 20,000 volunteers around the country, always adding more headcount.org. You can sign up, see the shows that we're doing and whatnot. And every time that I grab the clipboard myself, what I'm immediately struck by is it is really hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, just walking up to a stranger and saying anything requires kind of like brass balls. Yeah, you did, did you ever do sales in your life? I have, but not like standing on a street. I had to do sales for a while, and there's nothing worse than selling something you're not behind. But when you're behind, I mean, that's what stand-up is. That's what music is. That's what headcount is. It's like we know that what we're doing is pure. We're not really getting like a, like, I'm not asking you t- 10 bucks, like, give me 10 bucks to sign up to register. Like, we want this for the common good of the people. Yeah, and I think that, and especially our, our, our most effective volunteers are, you know, people who really, it's, it's in their blood and, and they're passionate. And uh, I'm, I'm just always so blown away by the amazing people who get behind Headcount and get involved and really find a family. Mm. And um, I just think about, you know, the, just the people I've encountered and talked to in the last 24 hours from all over the country dealing with different things. They are, I hear it all the time from Headcount people that, like, I meet the coolest people through Headcount. And that, for me, is is honestly more motivating than anything political at this point, that I see the individual impact that the organization has on people. And every once in a while, we hear from people who say, hey, I, I changed my career because I got so much satisfaction out of working with Headcount. I now want to go into social work, or I want to go into politics, or sometimes I want to go into music, which is very common. Yeah. And it's often a... Uh, a foot in the door in the music world, and I'm so proud of like our our one of our first interns, Sebastian Freed, who then ended up being our first employee. Now he's uh, he, he works at uh, the Music Hall of Williamsburg, uh, nice. and it brings in all the talent. And uh, Jane Henderson, who was one of our interns and then worked for us, was our first director of artist relations. She now works with Grizzly Bear and and other like big indie rock bands. So these are these are my kids. I don't have. 
kids and these are these are my brothers and sisters and like I love them dearly and to watch their careers grow and they also both of those guys started I remember their first days and I remember how passionate they were and I remember I mean they're just really smart people and really good people and that people come in willing to give a lot of themselves and then have gotten so much back and so much back career-wise and personally and friendships and that a lot of in the ways is you know people think oh it's all about the free concert ticket and yes if you work with headcount you're going to see a ton of music and i've considered it many times <laughs> <laughs> but you're really your rich experience is going to be the people around you and the people you encounter when registering voters and and everybody you know when you register one voter you are changing one life that person is in the system now that person when they turn on the tv feels like they they did their part they they made their voice heard and um, so I think it, it is hard, and you do deal with rejection, not the, like, nasty rejection, but just rejection. Right. But the the payoff is the personal satisfaction when someone's like, yeah, I do need to register to vote. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously not in this uh, this presidential climate we're in right now, but the one prior in Obama's uh, era, did you ever have the chance to share, um, like, your mission or share— what you were doing with the president or with uh, anyone up at that level? I did. I did get to meet the president. Um, I got to go to an event um, after the Affordable Care Act was passed. I wanted you to say he was like front row 31st at the Garden for Fish. He had a Harpua sign. <laughs> That's all. This, these guys don't know it. <laughs> it uh, that did not happen. No. But uh, what did happen, what I did talk to him about was musicians and, and health insurance. That there were so many musicians who lack health insurance and the Affordable Care Act was a game changer for many and got to tell him that and he said yes we have musicians at the White House all the time and they tell me the same thing mm-hmm. so that was that was very cool um, got to uh, got to take my girlfriend to the White House and uh, made me look look apparently I'm sexy when I take her to the White House wow so, uh, really that was that was neat that's a that's a that's pretty cool it's a smaller house than you think huh was that your first time there? Um, I've been a few times. It was the only time that I met the president, but I got to go a few times, and, and there was meetings that I got to be a part of. Um, and that was that was a nice thing that really uh, came about in the last kind of probably the the, the second administration, um, the the uh, the last four years of Obama's. I, I I was literally there more times than I can easily count. Um, uh, there are a lot of times there are meetings of different groups that do the kind of things Headcount does, youth yeah. organizing and things like that. And um, to to have a seat at the table, you know, we're a bunch of pot smoking hippies, and uh, here we are, talking. sexy sexy pot smoking hippies. There though, you right? go. That's the important part. Um, do you find that like there's any when when like do you ever hear stories of anybody running into like staunch Republicans like in the lot that are basically like you know want to engage in politics? You know, we get people come up to us all the time who try to catch us in being partisan. And our volunteers do a great job. I mean, in our training, it's very clear we are nonpartisan. We are about getting everyone involved. We welcome everybody. It's the first thing in our training, and I don't think there are many people who don't get that. And so a lot of people will come up to us and try to catch us. Who are you voting for and trying to, like— you know, look for some sort of secret agenda. And I, I can honestly tell you that the way headcount functions is without any secret agenda. Um, there are all kinds of political beliefs represented within the organization. There are definitely people who voted for Trump within the organization. There are people who um, have very moderate viewpoints, which is like America. Yeah. Um, 
I think that the jam scene, there are, you know, all you got to do is look at any sort of political Facebook post on anything anywhere in the jam band scene, and you will see that there are plenty of different viewpoints, including a lot of right-wing trolls, left-wing trolls, all of that. Right. And I, what I've learned is you can just piss everybody off by stating any opinion. And on our Facebook page all the time, I think account, I think we do a pretty good job of creating a fun, interesting, and engaging Facebook page. And anytime we're fun, interesting, engaging, somebody's like, Whatever happened to just registering voters? And I was like, nothing, because we've always done that. Yeah, now you're pissed at fun. You fucking, yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. Or pissed at interesting or pissed at conversation. But here's, here's the thing that we experienced recently that was very eye-opening to me. We ran a blog, uh, and the title of the blog was Fish Scenes So White, Let's Talk. And it was a very well-written blog, I think, by a guy named Adam Liaz, who um, just talked about how how, uh, um, you know, white our scene is. Mm-hmm. And he interviewed several African-American fish fans about their experience, which was very varied. And just basically saying, let's acknowledge this. Let's, let's talk about it. And let's make sure we are creating the most inclusive environment we can. In my mind, not a very controversial point. Um, very positive, very not like fish scene is racist. That's more stuff. proactive than yeah. anything. Yeah. Just saying, hey, let's talk about it. Let's just be aware of race in our own community so we can live up to the values that we, 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 we stand behind. And holy shit, the vitriol mm-hmm. online that we got more than anything we'd ever seen, just wanting to have a conversation about fish and race was so offensive to a lot of white people. And what we also saw was that nearly a dozen fish fans of color posted on on our Facebook page saying, thank you for writing this article. Yeah, and a lot of course. And, I, you know, I was like, all right, so the white people are telling us how we should talk about race and when. And I'm glad that the people who this article is most relevant to felt that we the article did a good job. And so, you know, you're always going to have in the scene, you're always going to have a diversity of opinions. Uh, if you don't have a diversity of skin color, you're, you're still going to have a diversity of opinions. Yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, I think our community is very, overall, very positive and very inclusive and somewhat progressive. I don't think of the fish scene particularly as a very lefty scene. I think the fish scene is, uh, a, a, you know, there are other bands that have a much more political following. And I think that the, the, the jam scene and the dead and all that, we, we definitely, you know, we come out of the sixties, we come out of those ideals, mm. but I think the politics kind of got lost along the way. And that was one of the things that Headcount wanted to bring back. Like yeah. we said, Hey, we were born out of a movement, out of a social movement. Stop the war. Yeah. And here we are in 2004 with a war going on and a lot of alarm about what's happening. And. We said, all right, it's time to bring that all back. And and if you look at now where we are compared to 2004, as as dramatic as the headlines are today, we haven't seen nothing yet. We are not at war. I know not at a new yeah. war. Of course, yeah. we have the three or four wars we can't keep track of. But you know, there has not been a major piece of policy that has passed that is impacting people's lives yet. Mm. Um, I think there's, you know, the EPA isn't doing, you know, real environmental protection anymore, potentially. Um, so there are changes that have happened, but mostly everything's been stuck in the Washington gunk. So we don't even, we don't even really know what the next three years are going to be like. Go back to 2004. 
the shit was was going down. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in two wars. People were getting thrown in jail. All the things that were very motivating, and, and people I think forget that 2004 was a very, very politicized time, and the, the artists were very outspoken, yeah. much more so than now. So, you know, we were born out of that. We were trying to bring all that back in, and I think in some ways we really succeeded, and in some ways it's still, well, it's still also an uphill in, climb. In 2004, we didn't have social media. It's true. And that's a huge, huge piece. I mean, like, you know, we had message boards. And uh, <clears throat> we had the ability to communicate with the people that we wanted to communicate about that certain thing. But now it's just, I mean, everything's in your face. I made a practice of unfollowing every friend that I have on Facebook just because, like, I really started to get to know a whole other <laughs> side of the people that I loved. And it saved a lot of friendships, I think, for sure, you know. Um when did you get turned on to music in particular? Like, was it a, a did you, were you in a, from a music, musical family? You know, my, my folks are not particularly musical, but they did have a few Beatles records, and that's really all you need mm-hmm. when you're eight years old and can, you know, figure out how to work a turntable and you put on Sgt. Pepper's, then you're a music fan. Right. And so, kind of my journey was Beatles first, junior high, um, The Who in high school, and then I went to college. And uh, started listening to The Dead a little bit, um, and then uh, got a fish ticket. And What uh, year? Well, my first show was 92 in The Horde, but mm-hmm. my real awakening was February 3rd, I believe, 1993, uh, 1993 at uh, Providence. Oh, Providence. Yeah, I might be off by a date or two. And um, uh, the uh, Providence Performing Arts Center, and I had the very last row. I was like, got the last ticket, and... Uh, that is a great show that people should listen to. February '93. It's they debuted Sample in a Jar and they played a Mike's Groove where they um, were on trampolines with um, dry ice with the smoke and then um, uh, a strobe light and it was the trippiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Nice. And it was that was my moment. I was yeah. like, I'm I'm sticking around. That's awesome. And I became a really big fan that night. And it was like, give me fish, give me fish. I went on tour that summer. Um, from there, you know, my life was really changed and especially, you know, it, it, starting 95, which was just a couple of years later, my friends and I put together the Farmer's Almanac. Which, by the way, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, I can't tell you, I know it's at the ultimate toilet read for Fant. I literally, I can't tell you one shit that I took without that book for years and years and years. I mean, we would quiz each other. You gave us, uh, like, we would quiz each other on set lists. That was what, you know, what we got out of it. It was such a phenomenal read. Well, thank you. And and coming from a comic, that means a lot to me because, and I was talking to Tom Marshall about it the other day. We I did the, the uh, his podcast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what we set out to do with the Almanac was a couple things. And one of it was just be funny because fish is funny and the oh, scene man. is funny. And when people take everything super seriously, I think that's funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah. My first show, that, that February 93 show, Fish was doing the acapella, and there was this moment where they're trying to quiet the crowd down, and instantly there's a few people in the crowd who are so venomous about the quiet that all I can hear is their anger. It's like, shut the fuck up! Yeah. <laughs> and, and finally, the crowd goes silent. Yep. It is silent. And my buddy Larry Chasnoff then goes... 
<laughs> and you can hear it on the tapes. Ah, that's the And best. the whole crowd laughed. And I just thought it was a riot because it just broke the ice. And then Fish does an awesome acapella and everybody could hear them. It was micless. I understood why people were trying to quiet everyone down. But I also just, it wasn't worth getting upset over. Right. Absolutely. And so when we did the Almanac, we said, you know, we really want this to be from the perspective of the fan who's really here to have a good time. And isn't getting upset over, you know, this song wasn't long enough or, you know, my bathroom line was too long. Because there's a lot of, like, bitching. And to me, like, that's never, I never got that. No. I was just like, this is the most fun thing in the entire world. And if you are finding the one thing that isn't perfect and you're getting upset about it, well... We're going to make fun of you in our book. Basically. <laughs> yeah. All of us are never going to be in a room together ever again, and you're going to find the one thing that's going wrong. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, that, that was must have been such a – I mean, it's a labor, labor of love, of course, but I mean, going back and digging and scratching. Did you have a chance to, like, work with the band on it at all, or was it strictly a fan-only – it was very fan only and, and very much from that perspective. Like we, we had no, you know, it's funny when you start something out, you don't realize how big it can get. You don't realize that it's even going to matter. Right. And, um, when, you know, eventually we ended up, you know, getting to know a lot of people and getting people helping us. And one of the cool things was a lot of the band's closest friends and family too, um, from the early years started sending us materials, uh, you know, actually family members sent us stuff that they had to put in the book. And, um, so in that regard, it was, it was, you know, so beyond our expectations. I mean, our first volume was, you know, not that impressive. It was 96 pages stapled together with a lot of spelling errors. I kind of liked it. (laughs) I liked your early work. It was, uh, it was pure. It was, it was authentic. And I, I was blessed that my partner in writing was a guy named Lockhart Steele, who not only did he have the coolest name ever, but. Yeah, is that his real name? We always wondered. It is his real name. And Locke is incredibly talented and very brilliant. And Locke has gone on. Locke became the founder of Curbed and Eater. So Locke has done, accomplished a lot outside of the fish world. And it's like his deep, dark, dirty secret is that he's a huge fish fan. So. Sounds like a medieval porn star. I mean. We've made a lot of Lock jokes Hart about his Steel. name, yeah. And uh, but the jokes on all of us because Locke, you know, Locke's the man, and uh, you know. So we, it was a labor of love, and and um, you know, Locke and I and my other partners, uh, Chaznoff and Brian Celentano, we we just we put everything we had into that for like five years, and then the last volume was picked up by a guy uh, Kevin Castles out of Atlanta put out the volume and did a great job and we're, we're all brothers for life and we all I look back at that time it's like there wasn't a lot of return on investment if you put in the, the hours and the, just all we did was work yeah. for like five years um, but it's so cool now like if I go to somebody's house more often than not there's an almanac sitting on the shelf even though it's been 17 years It's yeah yeah and it's amazing and I think what it did like Dead Base was this very kind of analytical, you know, uh, analog type thing where it was like, okay, here's the dates, here's the tapes, here's the masters, here's this, here's that. There wasn't too much fun, like, stories from the road. And, you know, my buddy Dave and I found a gentleman who wrote a story in the Almanac. I think his name, if I remember, was Rob McCarty. And he lived in Connecticut. I grew up in Connecticut. We somehow found this dude and like wrote him a letter and asked if we could start like trading tapes 
and him and I ended up just like having this f- long lasting friendship of like tape trading all because he wrote a story in the almanac. I remember Rob McCarty, and I think his story was that he's addicted to tapes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Wow. And, and we were kind of like, how do we find more <laughs> tapes? And your book gave me the opportunity to, you know, me and my buddy Dave became closer because we were able to, what should we do? How do we get a hold of this dude, Rob? You know, and we like kind of co-wrote a letter and we still joke around about it to this day. Uh, that's funny. And it, it really is forgotten. And for, you know, anybody under the age of 30, uh, music has just always been accessed a different way. And, and Fish definitely... You know, it went from trading analog tapes to burning CDs, and now it's just like scan the back of your ticket and you hear the show from last night. And it is way too easy, but, I mean, we are living in the glory days, and and I love Couch Tour. Uh, Me too. um, I'll tell you, after doing 8 of 13 donut nights, I'm going to be way more Couch Tour than... uh, I didn't have a very good time. I love the music. I had a couple great nights, but I had a couple moments that were just like more often than not, I'm finding shitty people at shows. Mm. Like, I don't know whether it was Garden and a big Baker's Dozen thing where one person goes and tells five friends, like, yeah, this band's doing 13 nights and we can get balloons after. You know, like after 23 years or 24 years of seeing fish, I'm kind of like, I'd prefer the very back row behind the stage and just watch them play and not have to deal with anybody. You know, I, I hear that, and I'm I'm I can be similar. Like I love couch tour. I, I'm I'm fond of saying I just really like doing shit in my underwear, and mm-hmm. you know. But I also found that, that does your wife find that sexy? The uh, depends what kind of underwear. Uh, um, I I am not married for oh, the record. Sorry, but uh, the uh, um, well, not yet. <laughs> um. I, you know, I, I found Baker's Dozen to be just this awesome reunion, and I expected to go to three or four shows, and I ended up going to nine, and um, really did love every minute of it. Uh, and, and, you know, seeing so many people from so many years, and the band just playing so well. I they, mean, were, we, they were amazing. And as New Yorkers, you know, to be able to walk home, just incredible. And, and headcount, we got to do, we, we had a really fun time. We did a, a photo booth. We had about 5,000 people take photos holding up. Various things that said vote local, a Languedoc guitar. We had cutouts of Fishman and Gordon mm-hmm. photos holding up a vote local signs. And, and um, you know, the fish scene, we, we do want to keep it fun. Yeah. And we do when we were out there. It is, we're very blessed. We are the only nonprofit other than Waterwheel that is regularly at fish shows. Right. And people have treated us extremely well. And so we want to give back to the community and and really be part of that vibe, not try to change the vibe. So when I was talking about trying to make things more political, yes, but also recognize everybody's here for a good time. Right. And we want to be part of that a good time and, and kind of make the point that you can have a good time and still be an active citizen. Of course. And this all fits together. And it's it's all the aspects of what makes us fans, what makes us part of the community, what makes us a, a, a meaningful force. And, and the jam scene and the music world is very big. And, um, you know, when you look at all the acts that Headcount works with, because we work with about 100 bands, including Pearl Jam and Jay-Z and yes. stuff that has nothing to do with the fish world. And when you add it all up, it's it's a big slice of America. And, and especially, like, we, last night we were at Chance the Rapper. I mean, that's where you want to be. That's where change is happening. And so... You know, for us, I, I, things like Baker's Dozen and Dead and & Co. and Fairly Well and Lockin' Festival, these are the places where we can connect with our core and where we can be family. Yeah. 
And then we build beyond that to right now we're out on the road with War on Drugs and we're going to be on the road with Grizzly Bear. And that's kind of one step beyond family because those those bands are actually big Grateful Dead fans. Right. Um, and that's huge. You know, like you look at like the National, like who the hell would have known? And oh. now, I mean, they're just like such an integral piece of the whole thing now. Well, I'm I'm very proud to say, and not a lot of people know this, is that it was Headcount that brought the National together with Bob Weir. We did an event at TRI Studios. I, I I knew that the guys in the National were deadheads, and they were already working on that cover album, which became Day of the so Dead. So fantastic. So it, it's incredible. And so we called them up, and we, you know, we'd worked with the National, mm-hmm. and we said, hey, would you, would you be interested in doing something with Weir? We think he'd, he'd be down. And they're like, hell yeah. And we are, the, the National were not on his radar at all, but Bobby is a, a truly wonderful person and just very open minded. And we brought the National out and they brought 12 great other musicians from Brooklyn, Sam Cohen and Josh Kaufman and all these great guys. And, um, Put on beautiful music, and people hear this. Google, it's on YouTube. Google the Bridge Session, which is what it's called, and you will hear the first notes that the National and Bobby played together, and they are splendid. It's unreal. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm very proud of that because that's kind of an artistic contribution that Headcount made, where we brought those guys together, and it led to Bobby doing his first solo album in decades. It's fantastic. Yeah, they really put a, a spark in him, and I think that maybe you know who knows, maybe did that lead to you know him opening his mind to playing with new younger mayor some other folks that you know he's now you know partnered with which is pretty awesome um i want to ask you a couple nerdy music questions sure um did you have a favorite uh fish festival as a fan yeah i'd say the clifford ball yeah i mean for many people probably you know it's 20 years ago we were not at clifford ball Here's what to know about Clifford Ball. One, it was it was the biggest, you know, of yeah. all the Northeast festivals. That was the, the first one is the one where everybody came out, and it was it was a year after Jerry passed. So yeah. this was there's so many. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many people who were like checking it out for the first time. Um, I met lifelong friends there. And how old were you when you went? I guess I was 24. Okay, I was I was 15, 16. 15? I was 15. So you got a couple years on me. Yeah. So go ahead. And what is so great about Clifford Ball, I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but one is it was the first time that Fish is playing on an enormous sound system. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, they were very aware of it and bringing out detail that they just never had, could have before. And that, you know, that, that might be, that's just how I'm hearing it. But you re- were really hearing the music in a way it had never been heard before. Right. And... But it was also just so freaking exciting. It was like, oh my God, our band today is the biggest band in the world. Exactly. Yep. A, a huge goosebumps right now. <laughs> How cool was it to show up to a city they built for us and just like, hey, you're my neighbor for the next three days. And there was no hate. There was no fighting. Somehow we figured out, do you remember the message boards where there was legitimately a board? Because there's no cell phones And it then. was like, yeah. Tucker, meet me at the shitters after the encore. It was just... The, the way that we somehow got there and had like, it sure don't know what I'm going for, but I'm going to go for it for sure. Like we showed up as kids and we're like, I guess we just survive, you know? We all figure it out and we all adapt and it's like we, we're so addicted to our technology now, of course, and, you know, we can get music whenever we want it. And 
we really did have our best times. And I'm not super nostalgic. I'm not saying oh, oh, we should I'm, go back. I am enormously nostalgic. Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado, thanks to Dave Chappelle, um, has a rule where they, they have bags. It's essentially like a sack that you put your phone in, shuts off the phone for the entire part of the show, and then once the show's over, you bring it and it unlocks and then you get your phone back. I saw it at the Chappelle show at Radio City. Yeah. Um, and it's a very cool thing. And just being able to lock everything out and, and lock in with the music or lock in with the performer. And, you know, we, we are, we're very blessed. And, and I think one of the things I think about politics in America right now is that everybody talks about how shitty everything is. And everybody talks about we're going in the wrong direction, not the right direction. And I'm like, I'm looking around and I'm like, well, there's a lot of stuff that is not shitty. And we have so much at our disposal as Americans living in this era that, I mean, there are, there are just so many things that are built up and beautiful and not dilapidated and safer than it's ever been. And we have, you know, I, I curious about something. I look at Wikipedia in a second. I have instant gratification. I want to know where I am. I pull out a map on my phone. And I, I think that one of the reasons that people maybe accept certain things is because in the end, it's not that shitty. And that there's this, and I think it's one of the reasons people don't vote, is this feeling of everything is going to be okay in the end because it always has been. Mm. And, you know, if we end up at a nuclear war with North Korea, we'll have learned that that was a terrible mistake and that things aren't always going to be great. But I, I do believe in America that things are are great in many, many ways and not great in others. But I think fundamentally we have it so good as a country and as a people. We are so we are so well taken care of by the world around us. There's so little thinking we have to do. I mean, think about Little House on the Prairie and the shit they had to go through every day to survive and what we have done for us. And as music fans, it's like times 10. Yeah, now we have couch tour. <laughs> yeah, it's just, these are the glory days. And, uh, you know, hopefully they only get better. But hopefully we as a people and as a country recognize the role that we as individuals play. And whether that's voting or being an active citizen or supporting causes we believe in or being charitable and all these things that Headcount, you know, really wants to support. You know, what, what I what I hope is that we can all recognize how much good there is and how blessed we are as music fans and how blessed we are to be able to go to festivals and be able to go on tours and all these things and stop and say, okay, how can I give something back? What can I do? And, you know, I, I, I'm so inspired by all the headcount volunteers who really do that every day for nothing in return. And we, as the headcount leadership, just try to very humbly support that, make it all happen, and the artists have just been so incredible to give us this ability by letting us at their shows and all these things, and, and we find ourselves now in a very tumultuous political time, and I just want to stop for a second and say, no matter how bad it is, being an American in the year 2017, we are on the top of the world, and we should, we should appreciate it every day. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for taking time to bullshit with me. Um, can you let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find Headcount? Sure. Uh, all the information? Yeah, we're at headcount.org, and uh, you'll find a lot there. You can volunteer for shows. You can register to vote online. You can uh, get a lot of voter information. You know, you want to know where your polling place is, things like that, what's on your ballot. 
Uh, so please do visit headcount.org. I'm really easy to get a hold of. In fact, if you email info at headcount.org, the email will go to me and everybody on our staff. Um, and we actually respond to them. Uh, but if you want to just email me, I'm andyb at headcount.org, and I do return my emails. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we're a very open-door organization, um, and uh, we're always just looking for people who connect with our message and want to be a part of it. We're Right now we're sending a lot of people on the road to events, and I'll tell you, man, we're looking for talent. We're looking for people who want to go on a rock tour for a month and register voters. Um, it is a life adventure that... Um, we've had many, many people do with Headcount, and a lot of them have stayed involved. Uh, but some of them went and got like married and had kids and got like careers where they can't take a month off and Nerds. go to rock tour. So we're we're looking for new people who can do that. So if you're out there listening and, and that connects with you, info at headcount.org. <laughs> 